Hi, everybody. This is Sam Oso, your unconventional journalist, reporting Saturdays at 1.30 at the intersection of class, race, and gender and the movements that fight back. Today, we are interviewing two Houston DSA members, Lauren Gaunt and Stephanie Villanueva, and we're going to be talking about a campaign to push for Medicare for all. This is uh, Harris County, this state, this is federal we need to pass Medicare for all. It's a no-brainer, especially right now during a, what, three-year pandemic, two-year pandemic, 10-year pandemic, it feels like. Um, so, Stephanie, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today uh, to talk on this. Um, what made you want to, you know, campaign around Medicare for all and bring it to the community's attention. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am a Houston DSA member. I'm also a graduate student at UT Health School of Public Health. And so Medicare for all, I would say I I started organizing around it maybe like half a year ago. Um, but I've always kind of been a supporter, especially with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, but this is the thing. Medicare for all is what we really do need, um, especially right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw how so many people did lose their health insurance or employer-based health insurance um, because they lost their jobs. And so we shouldn't be tying um, our health care plans to, to our jobs. And so that's why I'm a big proponent of Medicare for all. Yeah. How about you, Lauren? Yeah. Um, so I um, actually never really organized before we formed this group. Um, I kind of I don't even remember who introduced Stephanie and I, um, but we just started talking. Uh, that was something that we were both passionate about. Um, I kind of became passionate about it after I was diagnosed with epilepsy several years ago um, and just having to change insurance companies multiple times and just always having it be like a logistical nightmare, um, having trouble affording hospital visits, um, medication, and also just meeting people and support groups who had it even worse off than I did. Um, so I'd been looking for an outlet um, to kind of advocate for it. And Stephanie and I were able to start uh, a coalition and yeah, it's been really exciting. That's, that's really awesome that, um, you know, you, you haven't organized before. Um, and like for a lot of people, that's really daunting. And for people listening, like it, it can be, but well, there's so many people organizing. And like, when you come into this space, it's like, everybody's just excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just time to make it happen. Um, but so the most frustrating thing that I've experienced with insurance is them not approving like needed medication. It's like, this is something I need. I don't know why you're not approving it. You've been approving it for the last, you know, 10 years. What is the most frustrating thing that you've encountered with our medical system? Yeah, and I can speak a little bit about my own personal experience. Um, so a couple of years ago, I did have private health insurance through my dad's employer. 
but it was really expensive. They took out about maybe 400 through $500 out of his paycheck every two weeks. So that's when we decided um, once the ACA did pass, we, we actually got on the ACA marketplace. So now I, and my whole family gets their healthcare through, through that um, specifically Molina marketplace, Molina healthcare. Um, but I would say that ACA is a good step forward, but it still has high co-pays and high deductibles. Um, for example, my family's plan, their deductible is $6,000. So the mm-hmm. insurance doesn't actually cover anything until you spend $6,000 out of like your own pocket. Um, and it's also very confusing because there's like different plans. And as a, as a graduate student, um, I had it originally the bronze plan, which is like the lowest, the cheapest. And my school told me that I actually had to, they didn't accept the bronze plan. I had to switch. So I, now I have the silver plan and it's a little more expensive. Um, and my dad personally, um, an ER visit for him, like the copay is, a thousand six hundred dollars so like if he ever wants to go and he did have to go to the er that's like the the minimum like that he would have to pay which is obviously really expensive so that's the problem with with having these sort of aca plans ridiculous yeah i definitely feel that um and i think that it's really important to outline like that private private insurance is it has a ton of its own problems but um, things aren't perfect under the ACA either. Either um, Part of what was the hardest for me was that I had to leave my job uh, when my epilepsy got really bad. Uh, so I lost my insurance after I lost my job. And then I moved out of state to be back with my family. Um, and getting state insurance doesn't transfer from state to state. So if I wanted to keep a doctor that I really liked um, under the ACA, I couldn't do that if I was if I moved, um, and same thing with medication, like if I had an emergency and had to leave, um, and go be with either my partner or my family, uh, my medication could have gone from $20 to $400. Um, and it's just, you know, it's insane. And you have to try and remember all of these little things, like what's going to happen if I do this, what's going to happen if I do this, instead of just feeling, like you're getting some kind of security, especially with me where everything was already so insecure. Um, it's just, it's like one more thing you have to add on top of all the stress of going to the doctor and dealing with an illness. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. It's an incredibly traumatic experience because like if, you know, you have different conditions that is, you know, this disabling you, and then you're having to figure and navigate the the health system. It's like this, this terrible intersection of capitalism, ableism, and like, it's, it's eugenics. (laughs) Like, like, that's what it basically amounts to, because they keep putting profit over our lives. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, so in the note, these are such like, y'all are so awesome in the notes, you know, you talk about how taxes, there's over 5 million who are uninsured and Harris County is, is 1 million. Um, those are, those are some stats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they really are. 
Yeah. So in Texas, yes, over 5 million are uninsured. Um, and this is from 2019, I believe, maybe before the pandemic. So that number can be higher now. And Harris County, 1 million too. Um, this is like the most census, most recent census data. And it's high. I mean, we've reached millions and like Harris County compared to the whole state. I mean, that's a huge number. Yeah. And like, you know, I saw it was last week where the Biden administration was like, uh, you know, private insurance, they're going to give COVID tests for free or something like that. It was like, well, what about everybody else? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did see that. And I know Lauren saw that too. Like I, I could see on her social media posts that she was frustrated about that. I was too. I'm like, no, like people just don't have insurance. That is that is so elitist. That's so classist. Like only the more well-off people have access to that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. So there are bills that are in the works um, to help address it, but somehow our democratically controlled (laughs) won't do anything with it. Um, Could you speak more um, on this bill and uh, just like your knowledge around it? Yeah, um, I can speak on that. Um, So I do want to say one thing is that a lot of our state politicians and organizations focus on Medicaid expansion, not Medicare for all, which has been an issue for our coalition, like actually trying to grow it. It's hard because people and orgs don't publicly support Medicare for all. Um, But what is Medicare for all? So Medicare for all is a federal bill. It's H.R. 1976, the Medicare for all act of 2021. And the House bill version was introduced just last year. Um, There's other versions from other years, but this is the most recent one from March of last year. We're still waiting on the introduction of the Senate bill version by Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what is Medicare for all? If passed into law, it would establish a single health insurance program that would make all health care, including dental, vision, mental health and pharmaceuticals, which we briefly talked about just just now, um, everything would be at free at the point of service with no co-pays, no deductibles, and no premiums. And most importantly, everyone would be covered, including non-citizens. So I think that's a really important point to, to highlight because um, it would be covering um, undocumented immigrants. Oh, yeah. that's That sounds like a dream. So like <clears throat> one of the, you know, counterpoints that always comes up, not just from conservatives, but even like liberals is, you know, um, the, the wait times and how universal healthcare deteriorates the quality of, of healthcare. Um, what are some of like the, uh, facts like to debunk that, um, like, Yeah. I don't know, Lauren, do you want to speak to that or I can? Um, I, I don't know how, like, like the specific stats I could give to that. Um, I mean, I can say that right now, I don't think that we have excellent wait times anyway. But... Right. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. My mom, uh, she's been sick on and off and she had to wait eight months for a specialist and it ended up costing like $6,000 or something ridiculous. And it's like wait times versus like debt. <laughs> like 
<laughs> if you're going to wait a long time, at least you won't have to pay for it. Yeah. And it's true. Like your question is very valid. Um, the fact that we do get pushback from more of like the right side and more of the conservatives. But I know that we don't like to focus on that. We don't like to focus on like cost or, or how we're going to pay for it. Cause it is a very common question that they want to ask. And I just don't think that we should be focusing on it, but it's, it's valid. And it's not that people are thinking about that, you know? I mean, I I agree. Cause like, you know, how much money did we just give the military? It was like 7 billion or something stupid like that. How much money does the Pentagon lose routinely? It's in the billions. Like (laughs) the money doesn't matter. Um, like their their argument for that doesn't matter given how insane they are. Yeah. And that reminds me, I actually I live in Cyprus and I went to Cypher ISD and I went to my high school and I was talking to the receptionist a couple months ago and I told her how I was like fighting for Medicare for all and all that. And then like the first thing that came out of her mouth was definitely that, like, uh, I just don't know how we would pay for it. And that was my response, the military and the budget and the Pentagon, how we just have to make sure that the money that we're spending as a as a federal uh, government goes to the things that we really do need. We don't need to be giving the military more money. That money should be going to a uh, federal healthcare system for, for us. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, you know, one more thing that I've, I've heard people talk about and sort of had discussions with people about is like that part of what it would do is reallocate resources because, you know, not everybody thinks about how much, money and time is spent in the private insurance industry, like just on administrative stuff, um, billing, just all this really, really inefficient uh, process that wouldn't need to happen under Medicare for all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a middleman that doesn't actually need to be there. And like that middleman's carried with the, the ACA, which is why, that's still inadequate, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the last thing I would say too is that something we discussed um, is that like only talking about cost is just such a bad faith argument because, you know, I feel like I hear people talk about how much it's going to cost way more than like why we need it. What's it going to do? What's the cost of not having it? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I mean, I think that speaks to how um, like our system, capitalism has really ingrained in us prioritizing money over people like mm-hmm. like why is that our default? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so exactly. many other countries have a, a single payer system and they are successful and their people are healthier and they have better health outcomes and they live longer and they're happier. Um, so we can do it. We're supposed to be the richest country in the world, right? But we're not putting that money into the right things. Right. Yeah. Um, so... There's uh, two Houston Congress members um, that have not co-sponsored the bill. Um, could you speak to those uh, Congress members and like what people can do to get them to sign on to it? 
Uh, Lauren? Um, yeah, I think, Stephanie, were you going to touch on the first part of that a little bit? Yeah, I can do that. So um, Sam summarized it really well. Um, so Congress members Sylvia Garcia of Texas 29 and Lizzie Fletcher of Texas 7 have not co-sponsored the Medicare for All bill. Um, we've actually reached out to both of their offices to set up a meeting to discuss this as a coalition, but they haven't gotten back to us. Um, and as a side note, I did work in Congress Congress member Garcia's office um, as a fellow and staff assistant um, right before the pandemic and during the pandemic. And I know that some of her her staff, her current staff support Medicare for all. So it's frustrating that she hasn't signed on to that. Mm -hmm. So like people can like call them, like how, what is the best way for people to apply pressure to Garcia and Fletcher to get them to co-sign? Yeah. um, So a basic action that people can take and it's really easy is actually if you are a constituent of Fletcher or Garcia contact their office Um, you can either call their office or you can email them letting them know that you're a constituent and that you just want her to co-sign or you want them to co-sign the Medicare for all bill Um, that's one thing that can be done like that's direct I think they want to hear from their constituents the most And something I do want to tell people, like I always just give this reminder when reaching out to um, any of the Congress people is like, you're going to be talking to their staff um, and their staff goes through a lot. Um, (laughs) So be, be kind to their staff, um, no matter how you feel about the Congress person, um, like just be as kind as you can to the staff, communicate what you need to communicate um, cause they want to hear from you, but the staff deals with a lot. So I just <laughs> want everybody to be aware of that. Cause sometimes, you know, people think we live in this like democracy without red tape and you'll just reach the Congress person themselves. And that's just not the case. Um, that's yeah. not the case at all. For sure. And our experience meeting with commissioners, which we did last year, um, was that they even the even the ones that we like weren't expecting at all to support us and you know probably won't um, still responded best when we talked about personal stories. Um, so I think that you know if you are going to have conversations with people about that, which is something that we've been encouraging people to do, um, is to sort of form your own personal story and really figure out how to speak to that and how to use that to sort of advocate for what you think is necessary. So that's something that we've, we've really been working on and still want people in our group to continue doing. Yeah, that's solid. Um, So I guess, you know, bringing it back home. So we have this uh, Medicare for all coalition um, could you speak to the the organizing that you guys are working on, like w- going into this a little bit more, um, you know, you guys decided to put it together. How are you structuring it? What's coming up? How can people get involved? You know, just like all those juicy little beautiful details. <laughs> yeah, so we, our first meeting is actually going to be very soon on the 26th. 
So we're working on getting as many people to join as possible. It's going to be at 7 p.m. Um, and what we've done so far, uh, I mean, we've done quite a few things, but we've just really been trying to grow our coalition to include as many people as possible. So, you know, we've been working with people from all walks of life and all ages. Um, so just coming and joining, we're always talking about, you know, what's going to happen next. So, you know, we have we have people with like different levels of experience um, who have been introducing different things that they want to do and encouraging people, you know, people like me who are afraid of public speaking and other people who don't have experience organizing, people who have connections that, you know, we might not. So, you know, joining those meetings and putting forth your experiences and learning from each other has been really great. And we're going to keep trying to do that the coming year. Uh, you know, we our, our group has only been in existence since last summer so we still have a lot of a lot of space to grow yeah and I was gonna say um this past year we've been focusing a lot on the resolution itself passing the local resolution through Harris County Commissioner's Court um but we uh, Ethan Lauren and myself Ethan's another person that really works closely with us um we came together and we decided okay um we feel like maybe we should start focusing also on a on the DSA Medicare for All campaign. Um, so the, the the national group. I'm actually part of the steering committee committee, and so I think what we're going to do moving forward, and we're going to discuss this at the next meeting, is actually like following the DSA campaign Medicare for All. So that should be exciting because there's so many different things that we could do as a group to take action, to encourage our Congress people to sign on, and to hopefully still pass this resolution in support of Medicare for All. So what would the Harris County resolution accomplish? Yeah, so um, Medicare for all resolutions have been passing all over the, the country. They, they've passed through counties, through city municipalities. And so these resolutions, what they do is um, the, the elected officials, they would pass a resolution saying that they support Medicare for all like at the federal level. It doesn't cost them anything. It's more of like a symbolic, resolution saying we support Medicare for all. And then that can help encourage our local Congress people to support Medicare for all. Um, so then Congress member, maybe Sylvia Garcia, Lizzie Pletcher can actually sign on knowing that Harris County has said that we support Medicare for all. Um, and then that can also change like the narrative that can start conversations on Medicare for all. Um, and so that's what it would directly do. It, it would like get us together and actually come together and say, we need Medicare for all and stop focusing so much on like Medicaid expansion, which is important, but we need to change the, com the narrative. We need to change the landscape on how we're talking about healthcare and healthcare access. Oh, yeah. Lauren, do you have anything to add to that? I think Stephanie hit everything pretty well. Um, if we're still talking about action items, we have a petition that we can send out to everybody that wants to sign it. Um, oh, hell yeah. Talk yeah. more about the, the petition. Um, we crafted it a few months ago, uh, and it garnered a lot of support really quickly. Um, it's something that we talked about at Commissioner's Court Um so we said, yeah, we, we created this petition. It got over 200 signatures in just a few weeks. Wow. Um, 
like look at how many people are supporting this it's your constituents that are supporting it um so the more people we can get to sign on you know the the more credibility we have especially as we're continuing to talk to to uh congress people and uh for those of you listening um i will have all of this linked for you um whenever I upload this to uh, Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, and that little summary, I'll have all of this information linked for you. So if you want to sign the petition, the petition link will be there. Just look up Unconventional Journalist wherever you get your podcast. Um, and then also the information for registering for the January 2026 20, meeting will be there as well. That that January 26th meeting, it's an online meeting. Yeah, it would be virtual through Zoom at seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been doing everything virtual um, just to, you know, keep everybody safe and make it more accessible. So I've really been one of my um, favorite things to come out of the pandemic is um, virtual meetings. It it makes it a lot more accessible. um, And then, you know, there's people this is like this one, particularly this is a Harris County issue, right? Like it's not just Houston, it's Pasadena, it's Katy, it's Deer Park. It's, it's all of these cities in between. Um, and like to like have everybody drive to the middle of Houston for a meeting just isn't quite feasible. It's a lot easier to have the virtual meetings. Um, so that's, that's awesome. That's, that's good stuff. Um, so is there anything that we didn't touch on that, you know, you hoped I would ask or anything that you need people to know? Um, I would say I would plug our email address. Our email address is harriscountym4a, m4a for Medicare all, at gmail.com. If y'all have any questions, you can reach out to us there. Um, and then our meetings, we are planning on having like a set schedule, which is going to help a lot. Uh, we would be meeting every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. So in, on a biweekly basis. So that is definitely the best way to plug in with our campaign, um, emailing us or um, joining one of our, our meetings. Yeah, definitely. And I would just say, I mean, I know we already talked about this a bit, but like, if you've never organized before, or aren't sure what you can contribute, like come to our meeting, because I felt like that in the beginning. And, um, you know, we can work together and figure out what you can do and where your skill set fits in. Well, a skill set and where your time fits in too. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people, at least whenever I first got started with any of this political work, it was like, it's all or nothing. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's really not the case. Um, Like, we are all living in this late stage capitalist hellscape where you have your families, you have work, you're juggling a lot. um, And they make it intentionally hard to be politically active. Um, So like finding time where you can, even if it's like an hour a week, it's a lot more help than you realize, I think. Um, How, so like you're a graduate student, uh, Stephanie, and then Lauren, you're getting involved for the first time. How do you guys uh, balance your life and um, like working with the campaign and uh, working with y'all's lives in general? 
Yeah, I can speak to that briefly. Um, and Sam, you kind of mentioned this earlier related to how everyone is organizing, which is great, especially here in Houston and Harris County. There's so many great groups um, doing things for the community and helping the community thrive and be better. And I've been plugged into a lot of those groups personally. Um, but once we started or once I started the whole Medicare for All um, group, um, I, I, I kind of have to balance and I have to decide and have to be like, okay, I support all the causes, count me in, like <laughs> in, in, in the most basic way, but I'm going to have to really focus on Medicare for all. So it's just like a, a balancing act and like really knowing yourself and being self-aware and um, yeah, figuring out like what you, you're supposed to do. Um, so I'm really focusing on Medicare for all. Yeah, myself. Yeah, and us is a, a trio, um, you know, we've been working with Ethan as well, who's part of a, he's a medical student. Um, so all of us have very different schedules. Um, I'm a freelance yeah. artist, so I'm pretty flexible. So, you know, if one of us is super busy, we're able to pick up the slack and we just, you know, always stay in contact and we, you know, we reach out to other group members too. Um, that's something that we've been trying to do a little bit more is figure out how to like delegate work to different people who, you know, have different skill sets and different uh, schedules. Nice. Yeah. And like, it's something I learned too during my time in like the political world is like, you can move around. Right. So like I started off as like a cannabis activist and then I learned more about that. And I was like, well, you know, freeing the weed isn't enough. We need to abolish prisons. (laughs) (laughs) And then I didn't know how to go about that. So I went into electoral work that definitely was not for me, Jesus. Um, And then I circled back to journalism, which is what I originally went to school for. Um, So like it is a journey and you can move around as, as needed. Um, All of the issues are connected through different intersections. So um, anybody listening, I just, you're not alone. You're just, you're not alone. I promise. Absolutely. And Medicare for all touches. I mean, it, it affects so many different things. You know, it's a, it's a race issue. It's a economic issue. You know, it's, it's interconnected. It's intersectional. Yeah. And that reminds me, I, we, we are really hoping that the Harris County Commissioner's Court can pass this resolution in support of Medicare for all, because we have some sort of precedent. They recently passed a resolution in support of racism being a public health crisis Mm -hmm. and so they passed that resolution so um if if they really want to be anti-racist medicare for all is an anti-racist demand so why don't they focus on that part and the policy itself to actually um, address racism so hopefully you know that's something that i can't they can kind of see nice oh folks i think we covered everything. Um, like I said before, um, when you can look up unconventional journalists, wherever you get your podcasts, and I will link all this information for you. Um, and that way you can sign the petition and get involved. If you are able to, the uh, meeting is January 26th at 7 p.m., um is there is there anything else 
I don't think so. I think this has been a great interview, Sam. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah of definitely. Course. Thank you. Well, beans. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Bye. You too.